Let's get into the Word of God. We're in 2 Samuel, uh, finishing up chapter 12. Now, as we get into, you can go ahead and turn over to 2 Samuel. As we get into 2 Samuel, if you remember, uh, this is the chapter where we're, we're, we're not seeing the best of King David's life, uh, and we're going to see things degrade even more. But what I want you to realize as we're looking through these trials is the way David responds to them. He, David doesn't always respond well as a father. He doesn't always respond well as uh, a king, but he always responds to God. And he listens to the Lord. He repents when he needs to repent. He obviously has a heart of worship towards the Lord. And one of the things that is so marvelous to me is although David puts himself in a position where he opens himself up to people attacking from all sorts of calamity in his life, God is always and ever faithful with King David because he's called King David and he's promised these things to King David. So as we get into this section of scripture where we see David going through some great trials as a result of his sin, I don't want you to leave here going, oh man, this, that was so depressing. I really want you to think about the future of David. Now we can't cover it all in one night, but just think about how God has foretold these things to David how he will carry David through these things, and he will continue to fulfill every promise he's ever made to David. So uh, that's where we're going to get started tonight in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan, the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And we're going to pause there for a moment. Uh, King David has obviously lost his first son with Bathsheba, that son that, was, uh, that Bathsheba became pregnant with through the adultery before they were married. And that was part of the punishment of David. We know that God had told David he uh, has pushed away his sin. He has forgiven him of his sin. But there were still consequences coming for that sin. And it's hard for us to understand these things because it seems so rough. And last time we talked about how uh, oftentimes we, we think that the innocent shouldn't suffer for someone else's sin. But that's the way sin works. When we choose to act out in selfishness, when we do sin, it's always going to cause innocent people around us to suffer. And you're foolish in your thinking if you think that you're in this vacuum where your sin only affects you. It will always affect other people, especially the innocent. So David loses his uh, son with Bathsheba. And uh, as he mourns the loss of Bathsheba, he gets up, cleans himself up goes back and then we see that he later on comforts Bathsheba in her grief. Then God gives them another child. And of course they call him Solomon. Now Solomon is going to be the king who takes over for David. He's David's youngest son and he will be the king to come. Of course Solomon authored Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Uh, there, there's a lot there about Solomon. And, uh, but notice here that God actually gives Solomon a name in this scripture, Jedidiah. That's right, it means loved by the Lord. And uh, a, a lot of times when, uh, 
when you talk to people, they don't realize that Solomon actually had two names, that God had given him a name and David had given it a name. And I think it's interesting that never again do we refer to Solomon as Jedediah. It was like this confirmation that God wanted to give to David that he loved his son as well. Uh, it's quite beautiful and an affirmation of God's faithfulness. And so we see uh, Solomon is born. Let's go on to verse 26. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of uh, Rabbah of the people of Ammon. Now Ammon is over to the east. I, I was trying to get a good map, but I couldn't find one that would show up well. It's on the east side of the Jordan River in Israel. And if you remember, this battle started all the way back in chapter 11 with Am, uh, sorry, chapter 10. Uh, this uh, battle started with Ammon. And uh, originally Ammon was a, uh, a, an ally until the people of uh, Rabbah and uh, the, the people of Ammon uh, ended up insulting the people of Israel. So, so this battle is still raging. Of course, this is the battle that Uriah was murdered in when David committed his adultery. So, uh, so anyway, the, now Joab fought against Rabbah, the people of Ammon, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and took it. Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance, and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over uh, over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So finally, this story of Ammon is wrapping up. Uh, God has given David total victory. Of course, Joab, as he finally conquers the city water supply, he writes to David and said, look, you probably want to be the one to conquer this. Uh, so if you do, you need to come now with people. And otherwise, I'm going to name the city after myself. Uh, so, so I, I, it sounds like Joab has a say here. Uh, clearly, there was some uh, ability for, for uh, the general to name a city after himself, but he knew David would want to do this. So he, he sends this message to David. David uh, gets the army together. And the gold, the talent of gold, this uh, crown, approximately weighed 75 pounds. So I wonder if this was probably for the uh, Ammonite gods, uh, and not so much the individual, that or it was just a showcase symbol, but I can't imagine walking around with a 75 pound crown on my head. Uh, it just does not sound at all comfortable. I think you'd probably have a lot of neck problems from that. So, uh, so David conquers Ammon and that whole story wraps up. Let's go on to verse 13. This is where things are going to get tough. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, 
Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretend to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar saying, now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went and to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out for me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes, which she had made, brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom, Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. We're going to pause there for a moment. Uh, Now we're going to start to see the falling apart of David's whole household, and uh, it only gets worse from here. We're going to see his wives brought to public shame. We're going to see Absalom chase him out of the city. All, All sorts of things are coming, and this is all prophesied by Nathan the prophet, but Amnon is the half-brother of Tamar. Remember, uh, when you count in Adam Bathsheba, David had eight wives, and he, we don't, we're not sure how many concubines King David would have had. But all this to say it caused some problems. Well, Amnon here is uh, complaining about his love for his half-sister, that he's just obsessed with her. He's totally lovesick for her. Notice it says, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, he won't even call, him, call her his sister. He refers to her as his brother Absalom's sister. The word I love in the Hebrew, well, actually, when the... The Old Testament was translated into the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament about two, between 250 and 225 B.C. That word that Amnon uses is the same word agape. That's how they translate it. Now, you, we've all heard what the word agape means, right, at some point in time. But what have you heard that the word agape means? Unconditional love. What else? Anybody else? God and Jesus. What's that? Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. That's right. For that. Uh, God's love. Good job, Jason. Uh, the, the love that God has for us. So, so when, when we read this story, it's very troubling that that word agape is used 
by Amnon about his sister Tamar, especially the fact that he's plotting to rape his sister. That's what's happening here. And uh, when we see this, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. And one of the things is, is uh, I think we can safely say that old adage applies here of talk is cheap, right? Because it's really about action. You can say all you want that you have this agape love, this great love for Tamar, but what do the actions show? Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 13. I think many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. But let's go ahead and turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. And let's just look at the definition of this love from the New Testament perspective. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I find it interesting, and this is something when man is having trouble defining something that is not normal to him, often we define things by what they're not in a negative sense because we don't know how to necessarily define it in what it is because it's, we're not as accustomed with it. And so Paul here is, he starts defining love for us. He starts out with uh, a lot of negatives of what love is not, and he gives some of the positives. So the first positive is love suffers long. It's long-suffering. It endures with people, and it is kind. Love does not envy. There's your negative. So uh, not only does love suffer long and endures, but it's never going to envy or be covetousness or uh, covet after something. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. There's not pride involved in love. Uh, it does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's, it's not provoked love. So when you think about this, this definition of love that God gives to us in, for, through the mouth of for the writing of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we see that based on the definition here that Paul is starting to lay out and what the actions of Amnon are, he can say all day long he loves Tamar, but when we look at the comparison, we say, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think maybe he's using the wrong language there, right? He, he's, I know he's saying this, but that's not what he's doing. And I, this is really a challenge for all of us to not just be people who speak the word of God or say we do things, but to actually do what we say, to actually be who we say we are. And if Amnon really did love Tamar, uh, he should have gone to his father, but he didn't love Tamar. He lusted after Tamar. He, he didn't bring it into the light. Now, we, we saw with King David himself that he saw Bathsheba bathing uh, from, from his rooftop, and he lusted after Bathsheba and took Bathsheba for himself, who was not his to take. And now we see Amnon doing the same thing with his own uh, half-sister. Love does not, uh, it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. Have we ever thought about that? 
Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. You cannot say you love someone, or, or it, whether it be as a friend or uh, a, as somebody who you uh, might be attracted to, and think about committing some sort of sin or iniquity with them. It doesn't work that way. And uh, so I know most of our, our younger people aren't here tonight, the families, because we had a baby dedication earlier today. But uh, this is something to think about, especially for you young adults uh, who are in the realm of dating and courting. And this is something you want to look for, especially in a future spouse is, are they really doing what they say they want to do? When they say they love you, are they willing to endure are they willing to rejoice in the truth and not commit iniquity? Are they willing to protect you? See, that, that's a good question that you should all be asking because it's going to reveal the character of the individual that you might be thinking about marrying. And let me just tell you this. Uh, people don't usually change for the better after marriage. So, and, and anybody who's married... <laughs> <laughs> knows this, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm getting all these like, amen, you know? Uh, unless they come to the Lord and really repent and God starts transforming them. But usually uh, before, uh, people say, oh, you know, I hope, I hope that person will change. I hope they'll get better. But yeah, they don't really. So you should look for these qualities. You know, if you're dating somebody or even think about dating somebody, uh, call them to it now. Uh, call them to these qualities and tell them the expectations uh, and see if they actually change in the first place. Well, Amnon... Um, is lovesick supposedly for his sister. Uh, he doesn't know what to do, but he's got this friend. Uh, this friend is no friend of mine. I'll tell you that right now. This man is a, look at what it says about him. He's a crafty man. Uh, this man is encouraging Amnon in his sin. Listen, if you have friends that are encouraging you in sin, I would challenge you that they might not be very good friends. They certainly don't meet that definition of love because love rejoices in the truth. Love longs, is long-suffering. Love does not commit iniquity. So if you have somebody who says, well, I love you, I'm your friend, or whatever the case is, I think probably they're not such a great friend if they're encouraging you in sinning or iniquity. And so... Uh, Amnon's friend, Jonadab, uh, says, oh, listen, I, I've got the solution for you. Uh, why don't you tell your dad, get your dad to do this dirty work, that you're, you're real sick and you need uh, your sister to come and make these cakes for you. And so David plays right into this, sends Tamar to him, and uh, then uh, Amnon rapes Tamar. Um, all right, so let's go on to the next uh, part of this passage. Uh, verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. What a great guy, huh? I mean, now all of a sudden, he gets his way. He... He destroys her. 
He not only brings her there on false pretenses, he lies to her, he rapes her, but then, he, then he's, now he hates her exceedingly. In fact, he hates her with more hatred than he loved her. And now we're starting to really see the character of this Amnon guy. Amnon is definitely an individual that you should not imitate in the scriptures. And uh, girls, uh, let me encourage you. If a guy is telling you, uh, I love you, I think you should really consider, do the actions match up with what he's speaking? Uh, Especially if you're dating, uh, he should be protecting you, not encouraging you in sin. Not saying I love you to get something from you, but rather to build you up and protect you, okay? Uh, I wish my own daughters were here tonight. Uh, They were supposed to be here. And uh, so if you're watching from home, I'm going to make you guys sit down and watch this. Like, gosh, pastor. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, you don't want to just uh, uh, believe a guy who's saying this to get something from you and take advantage of you. So Amnon now hates her. He's done with her. He's, uh, <laughs> his love is very fleeting. So he said, uh, uh, verse 16, so she said to him, no, indeed, This evil of sending me away is worse than the other than you did to me. See, she was a virgin. And now he's just destroyed her. He's done with her and he wants to send her away. And she's like, well, now I'm destitute. I'm never going to get married. You've just completely taken advantage of me and destroyed me. And so uh, he doesn't listen, but he would not listen to her. Verse 17, then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. He kicks her to the curb. That's literally what he does. That's not a new thing. That's uh, something that's been going on as long as man's been sinning. And he, he sends her away. He, notice that he has no compassion for her situation. He has no care for what's going to happen post this event. He just is consumed with doing this wrong to her. Now, what Amnon did to Damar was not only wrong, but he could have still redeemed her in a way, uh, either by marrying her or paying the bride price in accordance with Exodus 22.16 or Deuteronomy 22.28. So Amnon could have actually redeemed her with a bride price. There, there was provision in the law where if a man t- uh, takes a virgin uh, who's not his, he could actually still redeem her. Exodus twenty two sixteen says, If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay the money according to the bride price of virgins. And so there was a price here that he was supposed to take care of her with. In a way, it's kind of like pre-alimony, if you will. Uh, because you just destroyed this woman. But that is not at all what Amnon does. He just kicks her to the curb. Part of the blindness of lust leads the lustful man of a woman to believe that his or her option, actions are uh, obviously uh, not obviously apparent to others. Amnon was deceived by his blindness or lust. That's what John Trapp writes. And that's so true. Uh, when 
people are lusting uh, or they're consumed with this idea of I have to sin, I have to have, oh, I'm sick, I'm so sick because I love her so much or I I need this so much, uh, we tend to convince ourselves that no one else sees when that's not true at all. First of all, God sees. There's no sin that goes on under the sun that God doesn't see, uh, or sorry, in private, whatever you, the case is. God sees all. He knows all. And, and when you sin, God not only sees it, but it's, it, he's going to make it apparent. He's going to bring it into the light. So don't be deceived by the blindness of lust. You know, uh, think about Adam and Eve in the garden, and I know we always go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's all right there in Genesis 3 where Eve stood there at the tree seeing that the fruit was pleasing to the eye, good for food, and desirable for making one wise, she took and ate of it. And then we see that for whatever reason she had convinced herself at that moment that she needed that fruit more than she needed the relationship with God. Look at the long-term effects. And same with David. He didn't see the long-term effects from his sin with Bathsheba. Amnon doesn't see any long-term effects. And I want to challenge you all in this. These stories uh, in the history of the Bible are given to us so that we might act differently. This is given to us by the grace of God so that we might make different choices when tempted or being put in the same situation. That we might think about the long-term effect from any of our sin, that people do see it. Um, Let's go on here from there. So then Tamar, verse 19, uh, put ashes on her head, she's mourning, and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on, on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister, he is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So Absalom now is plotting. And he's very very cool about it. He tells his sister, listen, don't make a big deal out of it. Come be in my house. And he's going to take his revenge on his brother. Now notice here in verse 21, it says, King David heard about this and he was very angry. But do you see what King David did? Nothing. He did nothing. Is this love? No. Love rejoices in the truth. Love is long-suffering, it bears with, but it doesn't just do nothing. There's a hard subject that I think we need to approach, especially in this subject, and that's the one of sexual abuse. I know that uh, in all my years in youth ministry and working with people, sexual abuse is a real problem. It happens to people. And oftentimes the worst part of sexual abuse is that family members try to hide it. They try to do nothing about it. Uh, Or they just say, okay, we're going to put this away. Don't say anything. We'll take care of it internally in the family. That is the worst 
possible thing one could do. If you are made aware of a sexual abuse that is ongoing, you need to bring justice into that home, into that person's life. People need justice. Uh, and, and justice is godly. It's not right to allow someone to go on being abused and never speak up about it for fear of the destruction of the family, for fear of uh, the family being uh, embarrassed, whatever. The, listen, your family's already embarrassed. The, the family's already destroyed because of this evil act that's happened. And uh, what I've learned over the years is that if you find out about something that's going on, I, I've been in many a conversation with people where I've said, you need to go tell the authorities. And if you don't, I will. Because it's important that that person who's being abused gets justice. It's absolutely important. If they're ever going to believe that they're worth anything to you, they need to have justice. Um, with that said, uh, Absalom decides he's going to take justice in his own hands because David doesn't do anything. Verse 23, and it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, kindly note your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let us not all go now, lest uh, we be burdened to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he let Absalom and all, or sorry, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with Absalom. Verse 28, now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each one got on his mill and fled. So Absalom waits two years Two years, David does nothing. He just indulges his son by doing nothing. And, and Absalom waits, and as a result of this, just like Nathan the prophet had told King David that the sword will not depart from your household, we see Absalom plot the death of Amnon and carry it out. Notice that he even encourages his father to come, so we don't know at this point in time if he was already planning the coup or not. Seems like he was. Maybe he was also intending to destroy his own father at the same time. We don't really know. But notice what he does. He says, wait until Amnon is making merry, that he's merry with wine. Do you remember somebody else did that same thing? Yeah, that's right. King David got Uriah drunk and said, oh, go be with your wife trying to hide his own sin. Then he did it the next night. It didn't work. So then he sends Uriah with the orders of his own death to his servant, Joab, who puts him to death. King David did the exact same thing now that Amnon, or Absalom is doing to Amnon. And he, and he brings, uh, tells his servants and orders them once he's drunk with wine and making merry, kill him. 
Do not be afraid. Notice that Absalom looks at this as something that is courageous and valiant. Now, murder is not courageous nor valiant, but Absalom here has convinced himself that this is the only way justice will happen for his sister. And so he chooses to do this. Uh, let's go to verse 30. And it came to pass while they, were on the, oh, uh, while they were on the way that news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants stood by with their, their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to, this thing to heart, to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now, Jonadab comes through here and says, don't, don't be weeping too much, king. Uh, not everybody's dead, just Amnon. And this has been being plotted for two years, so you let it, let it go. <laughs> what? <laughs> take, take heart that not all your sons are dead. I, I kind of wonder if maybe even they, they uh, set up David so that he would feel almost a little bit better once he found out that uh, his, all of his sons weren't dead. Verse 34, then Absalom fled. The young man who were, was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came. And they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Ptolemy, the son of Amihud, king of Gersher. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gersher and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. King David here, he just is really terrible at bringing justice to his own household. He's terrible at representing truth. Uh, in his own household. Uh, now, I want to say this. King David is a man after God's own heart, meaning that he responds to God. He's worshipful to God. He loves the Lord God, but he's not a perfect man. And uh, there's a lot to be learned about fatherhood from King David. And I want to challenge you dads, or even soon-to-be dads, to be a present father. You have a responsibility and a role in the household to know that your children respect their mother. You have, you, that's part of your responsibility as dad. There's so much involved, uh, there's so much, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, so much of a standard and effect that you can have on your children for the good. You're not to be a tyrant in the home, but you're to teach your children what is right and train them in the way that they should go. Oftentimes, fathers start to take this absent role. They let mom be the disciplinarian. They let mom do all the hard work. And, and they just kind of sit back, turn on the TV or whatever the case is. Let me encourage you that if you want an unruly household, do nothing. 
But if you want a household where your kids learn to respect others, they learn to respect their mom, that they themselves will grow up to be good men and women, teach them that now while they're young. Set the example and set the standard for them. You dads, you respect mom, your wife. You teach them how, you set the example. When, when they do wrong, you correct them. You protect mom. My, my kids know there's, uh, there, there's a, a look I can give my kids. And, and they know they've stepped over the line. And uh, what will happen is they'll roll their eyes or something at mom and Laura. And I'll be like, oh, hold on. Back up there just a minute. Like, what? I saw what you did. Now you're going to do it again, but you're going to do it right. So they go through the whole process. No, no, no. You're going to do it with a good attitude. You're going to speak to your mom properly. <sighs> nope. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> and uh, just teaching the, the kids to respect their mom and uh, helping them to also respect others is important. Uh, many of you have seen with Lucy, my nine-year-old, um, constantly telling her, hey, look at the people when they're talking to you. L- look at them. You know, it's one of those things that you're constantly training. Uh, you're teaching them to have these convictions when they're young. But here's what else happens when you do this, dads. You give your kids uh, confidence in who they are. When, when you are present as a father, your kids will have confidence because they'll understand justice. They'll understand a sense of protection. They'll understand this... this uh, standard that you set for your whole household. So I want to encourage you dads with that as we end tonight's study. Don't let your kids be wrapped up in these crafty people, but you be the dad and talk to them and have these conversations with them. And uh, that'll end it for tonight. Let's go ahead and close in prayer, huh? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for the lessons we can learn from your word. And uh, Father, we just thank you that you are a good father, Lord that you bring justice, you redeem us, you care for us, you speak to us, Lord. God, you have never abused us, but God, you are a good, kind Father who encourages us and teaches us your word that we might glorify you in all things that we do. Lord, we do pray that uh, tonight as we've seen the destruction, uh, the beginning of the destruction of David's household, Lord, that you would uh, cause us to pause and think about these things so that we might do it differently, that we might not destroy our own household, but we might uh, honor you in all things that we do. And uh, we give you thanks. We give you praise for this time in your word. Pray your blessing on each and every one that's in here tonight with us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Men and dads, uh, find a friend and hold each other accountable. Encourage one another to be good dads and good good, uh, husbands. All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May you walk with him and go share the gospel. Amen. Amen.